0: Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a to everyone and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. That's the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm rugby reg, and joining me tonight, as per usual, is the one and only Hugh Cavill. How you going, Hugh?
1: I'm good, reg. Good. Bit of a bit of a weird weekend without test footy. Um, but uh, good to be getting back into it this week with with the Springboks, who who um haven't seen much of much of this year. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm
0: the same in, in, in Super Rugby and, and anything. And and but not only are we not without uh, not with test rugby, but we don't have Matt tonight for for reasons that we won't go into. And I can. categorically confirmed that they have absolutely nothing to do with the New South Wales police investigations into the bugging of the New Zealand hotel room, so I just (laughs) want to make that clear from the start (laughs) here, okay,
2: so
0: nothing to do with that. But but, but joining us tonight, instead of Matt, and on his annual visit to the show, so this guy, you've seen him, he writes for The Raw, he writes for the AAU, he's on ABC Radio, he's Australian rugby's answer to Charlie Pickering, so diverse his media commitments. It's Brett McKay, how are you Brett? (laughs) I thought it was going to be some sort of reference to the stubble beard, but no, I'll take that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, mate. It's been a while. Yeah, it
2: has. Yeah. Well, I, well, I said to you uh, a few weeks ago that it must be time for my annual uh, appearance back on the podcast. So, so good to be back.
1: Well, well nice we, we don't like having you on, Brett, because honestly, you just show us up. You, you, know, you, you actually have some solid opinions and can back them up with, with good analysis. And that's not, not something. Such...
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, look, here,
0: I've, I've saved some of my worst for tonight. <laughs> oh, brilliant. You'll fit in wonderfully. Um, and of course, we've got both is in the booth producing the show, but uh, look, again, we're coming to you via our regular podcast stream and on our website, Grinning Gold Rugby, or as part of the Eon Sports Digital Radio Network, so we're thrilled to have you with us, uh, you can get uh, old shows on our website or through iTunes, and speaking of iTunes, always great to hear some reviews, and Hugh, you've got a couple of reviews for us this week.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm in charge of the reviews this week, which, which is good with in, in Matt's absence, so I've sort of waded through the ones that have been clearly done by his family members, um, and I've come up with a couple here, and, and as we said, we always love the reviews, and get on get on to iTunes and, and, and give us a review if you haven't already. We'll take, take the good and the bad, and um, got um, one here from Tom Cass, which was titled The Podcast They Listen To In Heaven. Which, which is a lovely start, to be honest. Absolutely. Insightful perspectives with up to date news and top notch banter. Even Roman Poit would listen to the these Aussies. <laughs> <laughs> Good five stars for Tom.
0: Um, Steve On, not your Steve On. Green and gold rugby, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs>
1: Yes, Um, and uh, one from Bob here uh, with a number of cues after his name. And he he says, uh, the morning commute can serve numerous purposes. Since discovering GAGR a year ago, I have not missed one and progressively neglected my French 101 app and all manner of wanky TED Talk podcasts. Admittedly, it took a little while to get used to it, but now look forward all week. Love the collaboration with the POMs. Uh, but Hugh, Matt, and Reg, thank you for helping me get to work. Uh, so does mean he's not
2: Mr. that mean he's not Mr. Podcast or he's not Mr. Morning Commute?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> I both, both. To be honest. Um, but uh, he's only given us four stars there, Bob. So, uh, room for improvement. And honestly, look, I think with Matt out of the game tonight, we might be getting that up to a five. Yeah, we,
0: we <laughs> might give that a hunch tonight. That's excellent. Yeah. Look, speaking of Matt, great work there, Hugh, on, on covering for Matt there. But, you know, we are going to miss him. We love Brett, but we are going to miss Matt tonight. So, how are you? How are we going to cope? What are you going to bring to the table to help us cover Matt's loss tonight,
1: Hugh? Well, look, I've, I've got the teeth whitened, so that's a, that's a good yes, start. Excellent. He <laughs> through on the podcast. But um, yeah, look, I've, I've I've really sort of gonna um, beef up the sort of rabid um, rabid rants I can go on here, and and if you start me, you know, don't start me on sevens because I don't really watch much sevens. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, refereeing, i U, I'm ready to go right off the handle. So um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, all I'm, manner of conspiracy. So I'm, yeah, I'm here the so that. Here was I'm,
0: I'm bringing the conspiracy theories, you know, whatever it's the the All Blacks new line at throws uh, the you know the, these inside theories tin hat foil tinfoil hat territory that this is me tonight this is our little contribution to to keep a little matt gagger in the show yes um Five burning questions tonight, guys. We're going to get stuck into it. So our five burning questions, we'll go through them at the top. So first and foremost, um, in light of Phil Lutton's article, which has been thrown all around media today, is there too much emphasis being placed on private school rugby at the detriment of Australian rugby's development? Question two, uh, we're looking at the extended squad for the Springbok and Puma test that has just been announced. Which of the non-capped players could be could best answer the call for the Wallabies this series? Uh, Question three, Steve Larkin's been reappointed as head coach of the Brumbies as well as assistant coach uh, for the Wallabies. Is that even manageable? Uh, Question four. How do we measure the success of the NRC? Great to have Brett on tonight to talk about this. NRC is going for a couple of weeks. How do we actually measure the success of that? We'll get into that in a second. And then finally, in advance of the Springbok test this Saturday night at Suncorp Stadium, what's your favourite Springbok uh, versus Wallaby test match moment? With the caveat, it can't be the Steve Larkin drop goal. We're going to take that off the table um, and use be creative elsewhere. Let's get back to it, though. Schoolboy rugby private school there 's been a lot of chat um on the uh, interwebs since phil 's article uh, questioning I guess the place of private school rugby and its effect on the development of rugby as a whole uh, in Australia. Hugh, did you have a chance to read that article and what are your immediate thoughts
1: yeah look it 's an interesting take i mean we uh, we all know how much um Private school rugby, um, you know, is, is the foundation of, of the game in many ways. Not only in terms of players, but in terms of supporters and administrators and coaches and and um, a whole whole range of you know facets of the game. And and you know, full disclosure, I, I went to a private school, at, you know, and I, and I know you did you did too, Reg and and Matt certainly did as well. So, um, you know, my opinions come come from that background. But I I, th- I think. Where Phil's article – I think his point was valid. I just think he couched it the wrong way. I don't think rugby relies too much on private schools. I think rugby relies too little on public schools. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the real heart of it because, I mean I, – I, the ARU don't give a cent to private schools. They really don't. They don't invest anything. They don't really have much contact with, with um, certainly in Sydney anyway, the, the private school system. They're, they're not involved. They don't provide coaches or, or, or infrastructure or anything to do with those games. They're entirely run by the schools themselves. So it's not like the ARU can be accused of favoring them too much because really they don't have anything to do with them. Um, it's more that their investment strategies and, their, and getting out into those private uh, public schools all around Sydney, not just not just in the – um, west which is what people often talk about it, you know they just don't have the infrastructure or the resources or or the wherewithal to, to get out there and, and i think that's something everyone would like to see change and and you know the example in sydney is the waratah shield which used to be you know um this, this big knockout competition through all the public schools and i think um it was discussed on the forum this week that there are only a handful of teams left in that you know even down as little as four so um that's a little bit distressing and 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 you want and you want to see those public schools you know be be strong you know even if those players aren't coming through to rugby they they can still you know often at those public schools offer a lot of different sports and players can jump from league to union to afl to soccer um but it looks like rugby is increasingly going off the table there and and that's a real shame and something i'd like to see um see changed
0: Brett, what's your opinion of this? Um, I'll let you go first or second ahead of me. I've got a few strong ideas on this, but Brett, what are your thoughts? You read the article. Or what's the opinions?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I sort of, I can sort of see Phil Lutton's points, um, and, but I, I agree a lot with what, with what Hugh said. That, that you know, particularly around that it's not that, you know, that the A.A.U. is funding. Um, you, know, you know, private school rugby because that's certainly not the case. And the and the, and the schools themselves uh, themselves, if anything, have been, have have you know almost forced schoolboy rugby into you know, almost like a like a power grab, a uh, um, an arms race almost. And you've got you know you, you've got fairly high profile directors of rugby on you know six figure salaries yep. in some cases, which is just extraordinary for, uh, for for schoolboy rugby seasons that you know often often last you know nine or ten or or twelve weeks. I, I think that's just extraordinary. I think Hugh's right. I think the issue, perhaps, is not so much what's going on in terms of schoolboy rugby, but it's 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 how the game keeps those schoolboy rugby players in the game. And and the biggest problem there is is quite often is that. It, you know, there'll be a, uh, you know, the, the Australian Schools Carnival and it'll be attended by, you know, a handful of of uh, super rugby-related talent scouts, but there'll be a couple of, of scouts from every NRL club there without any question at all. And mm. and, and they've got the, the backing, albeit we don't quite know for how much longer, but they've got the backing of something like the under-20s competition and they can say, well, here you go, guys. Here's a two-year contract on a minimum, you know, $60,000 or whatever it is. Come and play you know, come and and play professionally for a couple of years and see how you go. And I think that's where we lose a lot of those, you know, 17, 18, year old um, kids coming out of school.
0: And it's interesting, but I'll take that a step further. At least up here, and I'm not sure if it's happening down there, up here in Brizzo, is that there is schools up here offering scholarships to kids or working in cohorts with league clubs. So league clubs are almost, um, uh, you know, paying the the way of some kids – to go to school, to do the finish their schooling, playing rugby, obviously, and, and then going off to join the Melbourne Storm or the likes of that. paramedic matter. There's been a few yeah. boys that the BBC school up here that has um, a vast scholarship program. A lot of those players have sort of gone off to to those sorts of programs. It's where. Um, Oh God! The guy played for the Origin. Our Dane Gagai and and a few guys under the Parramatta program. So it's really interesting. Look, my private schools, the schools program in Jeeps in Brisbane in Sydney has been so strong for so long. Um, You know, I think the concern is, as as Phil highlighted, is that for a program that produces so many Wallabies and and from now and always has there's just such a lack of control over it by the IAU. I mean, and and having worked at the QAU, there is such a, uh, you know, they try to work together, but the school guys, school boys stuff organisations do their own thing. I mean, in terms of development programs, linking, when they run the competitions, I mean, Jeep School Rugby up here at the moment is in term three, which is totally against anything that Produces a cohesive team for the Australian schoolboys titles, which are in what you know six, three or four months ago from where they took the Australian team. So you know the Jeeps program isn't even aligned with the better of of the development of the game. I've got real concerns over scholarships. You know I I, I really don't like. I've got a theory, and this is my Matt Gaga crackpock theory time, is that uh, the evolution of scholarships and the enforcement of scholarships um, uh, around Jeeps Rugby has had a big factor in the the skills gap of Australian rugby players of late. Uh, I'd love to go back and sort of see the timeframe because what we're seeing up here in particular, I don't know it down there, is we're seeing schools legitimately hoard players. So they're buying players in to win premierships. Um, I, I don't believe there's... The coaching is happening, and there's there are you know there's exceptions to this rule. And State High have done a great job this year; they look like they'll win the premiership, and that's without scholarships. That's a, just great coaching; they've, they've brought together some very good players. But there are schools like Church who won a title, you know, two or three years ago, with Isaiah Parisi, Harley Fox, uh, um, that North Queensland Cowboys ponga fullback, um, Mac Mason, um, Harry Nisefora, Angus Scott Young, all these guys that sort of came from nowhere, um, and literally not from Churchy, um, to win a premiership, because um, they were having their 125th year anniversary. What coaching goes into Those guys are bored into the school, they're not developed, and I've got to feel that some of these players, are, once they hit the, the professional circuit, and Christopher ISLT is an example I mean, tore it up at school, but didn't, wasn't coached, and he, mm-hmm. I think his skills are, are found out now because of that that lack of program. That might be another issue in the scholarships thing, but I've got a real beer in my bonnet about the scholarship program. Getting back to this, we need to harness private schools better and, 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 and I guess, like you say, Hugh, is complement that with what we do in the public schools and broader. I just want to see a greater connection to, to, to the club program. Uh, I, again, the club's program up here, and it starts in under 13. My boys, oldest boy plays in under 13. They have kids playing private school rugby at under 13 at school who are told not to play club rugby. Um, because it will impact the performance on their school rugby. And I hate that concept. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the club rugby, the grassroots rugby, the community rugby is such an important part of the development of players. And that's where, you know, um, it's not always graded. You're playing with different kids at different standards against different kids at different standards. Um, and, and that's where you, you get to adjust gamesmanship and, and uh, different tactics and all that sort of stuff. And that's where I get concerns over what's happening in the school system But again, that's because there is no, I guess, governance structure over the top of that from the ARU. There's no, you know, let's all work together for the greater outcome. It's you guys are trying to win a premiership. That's what it's all about. You know, damn everything else.
1: Well, to be honest, I mean, the the argument for the schools though, Reg, or certainly the ones in Sydney, you know, the the scholarship situation is a little bit different in Sydney where really only two schools kind of indulge in that, not to any great extent, Um, but – I think the argument that the schools would push back and say, well, we don't want the ARU in here because we don't want to be a development pathway for rugby players. What what we want to do and, and this sport and certainly the school I went to um, said that, you know, this is just something that we do outside of school. It's extracurricular activities. We don't want to develop wallabies, you know, and the rugby is just about, you know – Having team sport as a part of the curriculum and when HSC trials come along or, or, you know, when athletic season starts, you know, we we want our boys to be going and doing that or playing basketball or cricket and doing other things. So as, you know, and pushing back against – the professionalisation of schoolboy rugby. Um, so I think they're almost at cross-purposes, um, the ARU and schoolboys um, and, and the schools, because the schools see themselves as being, or most in Sydney anyway, educational institutions first and foremost, whereas the ARU obviously are interested in developing the next generation of wallabies. So uh, that's that's my one point. The other point, Reg, is I think the underrated facet of, of, of sc- private schools and schoolboy rugby is, is – the other tier of, of people that are it producers it's it's you know obviously you get the players out of it but the really underrated thing i think is is the supporters and the supporters in corporate australia and and you look at how well how much support rugby has corporate in, in the corporate world compared to soccer compared to rugby league you at the numbers and you look at the sales of corporate hospitality packages at major games. the soccerers and state of origin can 't sell yet you know, that they, they really really struggle whereas whereas rugby can charge whatever they want and they will fill corporate hospitality at games mm-hmm. and that 's because the guys that went to these you know, in many cases, private schools and are now leaders in industry and business and have come through as rugby fans that they played in the F's and the G's and the, you know, fourths and the fifths and never amounted to much. But they have that love of the game that's ingrained in them from from playing for six, seven years at school. And they transfer that through into the corporate world and become supporters of our game in, in a different way. And I think that's that's the other really underrated facet of, of private school support for the game. It it gives that that backing, that that su- that supporter base, that that is is so important to the game in a number of ways.
0: And I've got no doubt. And the other thing they do well is is the game day. I mean, you go to one of these uh, these first 15, or even you know the build up to 16As, the seconds, and there's a big match this weekend up in Brisbane. It's Terrace Nudge, which is the great traditional uh, Catholic battle, St Josephs playing each other, the, the Battle of the Colours, um, and they'll pick. Uh, that they, you know that could decide a premiership. This week they might get ten thousand people out at uh, I think it's at Tennyson the Terrace home ground there, and the atmosphere will be fantastic. People will be engaged. There'll be colour and movement. And gosh, when was the last time we saw that at a rugby game, at least in Queensland?
2: It's it's a fair point, isn't it? And that's I mean, there's there's so many disturbing elements to to, to you know to, to this story. The fact that. That you're not able to convert, you know those theoretically they should be rusted on rugby fans. That you're not able to yeah. convert them into, you know, in, into long term, you know, Super Rugby members or, or you know, or that or, or the Wallabies, you know, aren't playing and aren't. We're not getting that 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 flow on of success and it's it, it, it's all going to come back ultimately to um you know to, to rugby development and we all know the classic cases of um particularly in, in western sydney and it, and it might be like this up in brisbane and the the gold coast too reg but you know where there's there might be three rugby development offices for, for yeah. 30, 30 afl offices and yeah, um, you know it's a it comes down to a question of funds and, and money and priorities and and um you know they, they i guess that's the biggest problem for the AAU at the moment not everything can be the highest priority.
0: Yeah, and I think we get a bit cyclical about this, don't we, Hugh? I mean, we, we come up with these burning questions and invariably a lot of uh, they come back to this sort of this yeah. sort of answer. The resources just aren't there at the moment and, you know, it, it comes down to being a bit smart about how we do that, but there's massive issues for Australian rugby and, and this is just one of them. So, um, yeah, interesting times. We'll, we'll, we'll see how it uh, all uh, develops as we go. We're going to move on to the second burning question here now. So this is looking ahead. The Springboks play the Wallabies. It's, uh, we've had the week off, and Test match football is back on Saturday night. And, and praise the Lord, it's not the All Blacks we're playing. So it is the Springboks. <laughs> they have. We're at Wallabies. Have. <laughs> Let's hope we are. Um, we uh, Wallabies have named uh, a large squad for the next two Tests. So we play the, uh, the Springboks in Brisbane, and then the Pumas over in Perth. Um, and included in that name, I think there's 33 odd players name, there's a few recalls, but there's four guys who haven't been as yet. There's Kyle Goodwin, Godwin, the, the inside centre from uh, the Brumbies, newly announced. We've got Tom Robinson, the tight head prop from the Waratahs. Uh, Sefa Naivalu, who is the uh, outside back from the Melbourne Rebels, who, whose eligibility, uh, I believe, comes through for Australia uh, next week. So prior to the Pumas after the Springboks and then Lepetti Tamani another Melbourne rebel, uh, the back row, maybe locked there as well. So the question is, Brett, to you, mate, which of these guys is going to make the big, uh, the big play for the Wallabies? Who's going to fill the role that we most need at the moment?
2: Oh, I think it's Tamani. I I think he can be that big ball carrying number eight that the Wallabies have missed since uh, Toto Kefu, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, I I think um, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit heartened about the talk of, the, of the, the you know the pooper combination perhaps coming to an end because I think its its best days were were the Rugby World Cup. It was quite effective then. It didn't quite work out in the in the in the final because you know New Zealand, as it turns out, are a pretty good team and they know how to dismantle that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and this year, it's it's shown up to be you know something that's just off the pace. So um, look, I, I think the Wallabies need that big ball carrying presence again. They need to be able to. You know, make the gain line, get beyond the gain line, even if, even if he doesn't get an offload away. Just that ability to get past the gain line and and you know, hopefully set up quick ball, that then allows the likes of Cooper and Co out wide to play with front football, and and the Wallabies from that point would look would look so much better than they have over the last uh, couple of weeks against New Zealand, and even in June against England.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? He wasn't, he wasn't fantastic for the rising on the weekend in their game against Queensland. No. But, but we do, particularly against the box, we historically have always tried to fit another big guy in that back row. And I you know, take it well back until you know, sort of early professional, early or late amateur days where you used to chuck a Garrett Morgan on the side of the yeah. scrub just to add a bit of bulk. And Tamati definitely adds that. What about Hugh? Hugh? Have you got a, a different thought on that one?
1: i do i do i'm going to put my car, my chips uh, uh, for Sefan Ivalu um, yep. who I've been a big fan of since sort of the middle of last year where he kind of came onto the scene um, and he just has an ability to create something out of nothing and mm-hmm. he scored a try this year for the rebels against the blues um, where he basically scooped up a loose ball with one hand on in almost you know five meters out from his own line and sort of stepped two blues and then got in the clear and, and ran the length, you know, and, and was going away from them by the end. And, and you know, he just has that high-end electric pace and the ability to create something out of nothing that that I think um, this team kind of needs. It looks like it needs a bit of a spark plug. You know, someone like – he reminds me a bit of what Digby was like in his prime around 2010-11. Um, and, you know, that ability to break a tackle, um, uh, you know, a bit of physicality uh, combined with, with speed and, and – I think that's something that um that that, that we're looking for and and um Dare I say, Reg, to to inflame you? It's it's the same thing that Marika Korobedi might bring uh, later in the year. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> just, just wiping wiping uh, the spittle dead. off my screen. Look, look, let's
0: get to Korobadi because I wanted to touch on uh, Valu and and uh, he won't be available this week, but I think it should be the next week as we said. It's an interesting one. He's like remember all this hype we had for Henry Spade, who was just killing it with the Brumbies, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're all counting down the minutes until he was eligible for the Wallabies, and he and he played, and he has never reproduced it since. You know, he's had a few injuries, yeah. but we've never mm. seen not, that not sort even of ability. The, <laughs> the yeah, exactly. Um, so I hope to hell that Noah Bali can produce it for the for the Wallabies because he'd be fantastic. I think you know we've been lacking a bit on the wing, and and uh, we really need, uh, he, like you say, his, his ability to, to create something out of nothing. But just he's such a reliable player. The fact that he's playing 13 for the Rising and has done for the Rebels, he's a, he's a super talent. Well, you might
2: you might remember Reg. He yeah. actually first came to prominence in the 2014 NRC. And he was playing. Absolutely. He was playing inside center for the Rising, and yeah, he was killing yeah. it. Super Cefary was dubbed very, very quickly, and um, his his Rebel's career has been a little bit punctuated by injury, and he had a particularly yep. bad uh, leg break there last year. So it's good to see him just back and back and playing. And I absolutely agree with your point, Hugh, that, that he'll be he'll be. A, I think he'll be a superstar. I genuinely do. However, if we're relying on a winger, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then then we've still got a lot of problems here to here to address. Yeah, <laughs> that's,
0: that, that's, that's, that's a fair call. Which which brings me to mine, and we'll get to Corrobardi soon. But mine is actually, and this I'll put my Matt Gagger hat back on. Is a Waratah is Tom Robinson. I, I'm not yeah. convinced with I'm not convinced with Sakopi Kepu's form at the moment. I'm really um, quite. Uh, nonplussed about it in fact I think he's looked a little bit pedestrian um, at stages now Robinson's got a big uh, if he's to be thrown into there to uh, test match rugby uh, particularly against the box or the Pumas it's a, it's a massive um, challenge for a young tight head prop who's only really had a season of Super Rugby um, but Jeezy's a quality player and we yeah. saw it again on the weekend for the NRC for the uh, New South Wales Country Eagles where he's part of a, an absolute demolition of the Canberra Vikings where he actually played against some very good front rows for, for Canberra as well. He could just bring something. I think we've got to start you know, finding these athletes and Kepu who was there a couple of years ago doesn't look like it now but I think it'd be a great opportunity to get Robinson some game time in Test Match Rugby. Kep looks like he's... Um He's a. Uh, what's the best way of putting this?
2: Kepu looks like he's a really good quality French scrummaging player. <laughs> yeah, does, yeah, doesn't he? He's, he's 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 still pretty solid in the scrum, but yep. you're right. He's really lost a, a a yard or two around around the ground, and 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 I don't know that you can afford that too much as a prop because you probably don't have too many yards to start with. But I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree with um, I agree with Tom Robinson. He he. I mean, yeah. We, I mean, again, we caught a bit of a glimpse of him this time last year for the stars, and he's just looked he's just looked good every time he he makes a step up. You know, when he first we first saw him on the Waratahs bench, you you know, this kid looks handy. We, you know, maybe we should start him in the next you know month or so. And when he did force his um, way into that Waratahs starting side so within weeks, um, yep. you know, they the the, the Tar's scrum troubles disappeared, and and I think the mark there is that. Tom Robertson coming on the scene has forced Paddy Ryan over to the loose head side, and that in turn has made Paddy Ryan a better scrummager already. And that's happened yeah. inside six months. So, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, he, um, I think he's definitely one for the future.
0: All right. Let's get to it. So the, the, the stories today, and we're, we'll slip this into this burning question, is this Corbardi, who's the Melbourne uh, uh, Storm winger, who's tearing it up in the NRL, has signed with the Rebels for next year and the ARU as a top-up. The stories coming out today is that he will get picked in the Wallaby squad to go to the end of the season two, which is, I think, five test matches and two must-be-midweek games to fill out the roster a little bit. Um, and uh, be a part of that Australian Wallaby uh, touring squad uh, to the UK.
1: Hugh, mm, good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as, as tempted as I am to give to give the case for the defence, because I know what what you, <laughs> I think you're going to say, Reg, and I, I can't get behind this. Uh, no. Look, I watched the Storm Sharks game on Saturday night, and... Um, and he's a great player. I mean, he's he's got a real presence in in the NRL about him. He's you know he's got a physicality and a, a mix with a top end speed that that could seriously be great for, for both the Rebels and the Wallabies potentially in the future. But I can't get behind um, giving him you know a you know and and forecasting it this far out that he's going to be picked in the squad um, yeah. f- for the end of year tour. And I don't think anything official's been said yet, so nah, I will but- add that caveat. But the, you know, we talk about cheapening the jersey here, Reg. Sometimes, and and um, you know, and you talk about the uh, the European players coming back and depriving opportunities from guys that have been here applying their craft in Australia for the year. And I think this is a, this is a lot worse than that for me. This is a guy that you know might have obviously has a pedigree in rugby, being Fijian and, and growing up there, but the. I can't buy rushing him straight into the Wallabies. And, and even if he's taken along just as a development thing, you know, and he doesn't get on the field, I still think that's depriving an opportunity of some guys that, you know, there's a place around, you know, a guy like Mitch Inman who's, who has put his heart and soul into Australian rugby for the past seven or eight years, you know, for the for the yep. force and then the rebels yep. and has yep. never really gotten the chance at Wallaby level. And, and, you know, whether that's deserved or not is another matter. But, you know, those guys that, that – Luke Morahan's another one, and he might yeah. be the guy that misses out. And as much as Corbetti may may be a better player than Morahan, I'm at, at this stage, I'm not sure. And I'd be I'd be pretty annoyed if if someone like that got left out of a European tour, which is an incredible experience for for a player, um, at the expense of someone who who's never played the game before in Australia and. and Look, if he needs to learn the game, go to go to the Rising, go to the Rebels pre-season. Don't go to the Wallabies.
0: Mate, I, I'd be annoyed if he made the team ahead of Mitch Felsman or Alex Newsom, let alone yeah. Luke Moraghan. Um, Yeah, I, I hate the entire concept, but Brett, you might bring some sanity to this. There might be an opportunity that he might get a gig uh, elsewhere before the Wallabies.
2: Well, I hope there is, and it's probably worth pointing out that that all this, this story came about today because Corabidi actually was obviously asked the question about going on to the Rebels at a Melbourne Storm press conference. And oh, then really? he's dropped, he's dropped this bombshell that, that, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm going on the spring tour with the Wallabies. And, you know, I can imagine the the league journals went back to the office and said, said to the, to the token rugby journal left in the house, hey, do you know Corabidi's going to England? And they would have gone, oh, well, what now? Sorry. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of where it's all, where it's all blown up. I, I had, the, had had a conversation on Tuesday night with uh, your Eon Sport um, colleagues, uh, Richard Callender and, and Cam Luke, and I have and said exactly the same thing that you just said, Hugh. I don't want to see the Wallabies, the Wallaby side used as a development program. That's that's not the Wallabies isn't a finished school. That's yep. you know you are supposed to be the finished product by the time you're playing international rugby. The fact that it's a five test tour with a couple of mid-season games, that suggests to me that it's going to be a pretty big squad that goes. It could even be upwards of 40 players that goes. Mm. So, you know, that in itself, maybe it does sneak in there somewhere. I still wouldn't be overly comfortable about it. But... I was made aware um, on, on on Twitter, actually, that there is a Melbourne Rising game around about the 4th or 5th of October. So that's the weekend after the NRL grand final um, and before the NRC final starts. So, you know, if there was a possibility that he could be squeezed in for a couple of NRC games first, then I could come on board with it. But yeah, paraching him, shooting him straight into a Wallaby side to tour—I mean, um, it'd be unprecedented for, for Australian rugby, and and look, it just wouldn't pass the sniff test, would it?
0: No, so assuming the NRL grand final, I don't know. Is it the last weekend of September still? Yeah,
2: that's. I assume that is the case. It's the yeah. 2nd of October. Okay. Oh, is it? Well, so then yeah. rule, that rules out that no, Rising
0: game but, then. But there is, but there is one – so that's round six. There is a round seven game. The Rising hosts the Sydney Rays on the 9th of 9th, October. Yep, you're right. B- that's true. B- before the semi-finals and uh, the final, So, yeah, okay, maybe okay. there's a chance there. But he'd uh, – mate, part of me thinks – Great season with the, the storm. You're doing well. You might win a grand final. Have a break, mate. Just have yes, a couple of weeks yeah. off, freshen up, yeah. get down and get to know Tony McGarn and do a bit of pre season training down there. But I don't know, mate. I, I think we're all on the same page with that. We're going to move on to our next burning question and Super Rugby again, or, you know, cross over the Wallabies. Is that the news this week at the Brumbies annual, annual awards dinner? Is that Steve Larkham will continue on as the Brumbies head coach, head coach next year? But also, he will continue on as uh, an assistant coach for the Wallabies in a part-time basis as well, at least for the rest of this season and next year. Brett, mate, from my eyes, it hasn't worked. From my eyes, it still won't work. Is is that how you see it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I I don't see how... The questions that were asked this year of whether, you know, whether this is something that can be managed can be managed and, and, and Stephen Larkham knows he's got to make a decision at some point. I don't see how this problem is solved by him signing a one-year deal with the Brumbies and the ARU to do it all again in 2017. That's just delaying the, the decision for another 12 months. So, we, so we're going to go through this all again, and um, you know, and I don't, I, I don't think it does work. I, I think. Um, I think ultimately both seasons end up being compromised, particularly when he you know jumps out of Brumbies' mode in June uh, and yeah for, for four or five weeks in, in June to play that inbound series, then jumps back into, the, into into the Brumbies for semi-finals, and then he's out again. And, and you know it's I, I, th- I think there's just th- th- there must be a point in a coach's life um, where he's just wearing too many caps, um, and so. Yeah, you know, next year's a really big year for the Brumbies because you know it's it's the first year of the of the rebuild. They they didn't have the success they wanted in 2016, um, and and I think everyone knew that if the if the Brumbies couldn't win Super Rugby in 2016, they definitely weren't going to do it in 2017. And it might be a few more years before they're even you know in the window, so to speak. So uh, I think the last thing the Brumbies need next year is um, is Steve Larkham
0: juggling two jobs. But that so that Hugh, that mid-season breaks one, but this you know, end of the year, season two you know, he's going to be overseas, yeah. um, in the UK when the Brumbies are going to be starting their preseason. I would have thought, you know, young guys like Nick Houston, Alex Horan, who are supposedly going to be down there, a few other young guys, uh, Kyle Godwin, could be benefiting yeah. from having Larkham there, don't you reckon?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, the Brumbies are the losers here. I, I'm not opposed to to him having an involvement with the Wallabies actually, you know, when it was announced before the World Cup that Larkin would be involved and, and Michael Check had reached out to, to Michael Foley as well. Like I think yeah. that's that's I think that was yep. a positive. You know, having yep. those guys having yeah. the super coaches in and around the team. I think having a inclusive approach that they can take back to their provinces is a good idea. I mean we're all we're all wanting the Wallabies to win, we all want the Australian super teams to do well. So they don't need to be you know, hoarding secrets from each other, but uh, yeah, look, the, the rigors of of assistant coaching, and you know, as you say, that that mid year series, the end of year series, it looks like it presents some issues, and and I, I don't think the Wallabies need full time assistant coaches, but um, but um, so so I'm not so opposed from a Wallaby perspective that Stephen Larkham's not around full time, but yeah, look, the Brumbies, you, you got to think it's not in their best interest, and and um, and that it's something that. This next year has to be the last of it because uh, it's not long term. It's not feasible in the long term. If if the if the Rugbys were playing
2: sideline to sideline rugby and and running in yep. five tries every game, yeah. and, and, and the Wallabies were doing you know not quite to that ex- to that extreme, but were looking really sharp in attack and and you know creating opportunities all other, all over the place, I don't think we'd be having this conversation. But the point is, both, both. teams are struggling in terms of backline development, and, and that's where the questions start being asked.
0: All right, let's move on, guys. Look, we're going to talk about the NRC, and you talk about sideline-to-sideline side rugby, and there's plenty of that in the NRC, and there's plenty yeah. of NRC coverage on grinningoldrugby.com. Make sure you cover it off. Um, but I want to talk to you guys. It's been really interesting. I want to – there's much, uh, I guess, discussion on the interwebs, on the forum at and Gold Rugby, on Twitter, is uh, how, do we, you know, how do we measure the success of the, the, success of the NRC? You know, is it crowd size? Is it player development? Is it commerciality? <laughs> I don't know the answer here. I, I go to the games, Brenton, I'll go to you, because I was at the uh, the Brisbane City game on, on the weekend and took my dad, it was Father's Day, and we were great. We were Ballymore, great game versus the Western City Rams and really loved seeing those guys take it to Brisbane and love mm. Brisbane getting the win. But the crowd was one of the smallest I've seen in Brisbane in an NLC, I it was less than 1,000. Uh, it, it frustrates the hell out of me. I mean, I don't get why people... Don't buy it. It it might be the profile of thing. It's not getting the marketing. But how are we going to measure this, Brett? What do you think needs to be a successful NRC?
2: Well, I think we've already we've already seen a few measures. We and we've had this conversation before, Reg. That, yeah. that suddenly we've gone from twelve or fourteen debutants after the twenty fourteen yeah. um, Super Rugby season. In, uh, sorry, NRC season into Super Rugby to now the numbers pushing fifty. It's yeah. forty four, forty six, something like that. So, so that straight away is a really good measure of success um, and, and that's absolutely one of the reasons the NRC was was set up. Um, the other side of it is that there is commercial elements to it and I think that whatever it's not creating a drain on the Australian Rugby Union and the, and the constituent NRC teams, then that's got to be a measure of success as well and from, for all sort of intents it's certainly not creating a drain on, on, the, on the ARU from their point of view it's basically cost neutral. There's a bit of a cost for the clubs at the moment, and, and and until we can get those costs right down, you've sort of got to start asking the questions, and then there is the whole crowd thing. I, I yeah. don't, I don't think, and I absolutely agree with you, and I share your frustrations, I, but I don't necessarily know that that crowds are the barometer of success because yeah. I don't think this competition is ever going to, you know, suddenly draw in ten thousand people to to, to, a, to a game. It's, it's, I, don't, I just don't think mm. it's it's going to do that, and it's definitely not going to do that. Whilst, while ever the publicity and the marketing of it is so low key, it's let's. I mean, let's face it. It's basically whatever they, whatever word they can get out there via chats like this, via yep. social media, and yep. via an online presence. And so yep. that's through you know you guys at It's through what dot that I use, doing that. Yep. That I'll, I'll declare my involvement. Um, <laughs> we do a little bit over on the Raw, admittedly, yep. but that's basically it. It's always been that that off-Broadway element of coverage. And, um, you know, not everyone sees it. It's a big frustration. I get that. But, you know, maybe that's not the biggest indicator of
0: success. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, We had Pete Playford on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he was great. And he, don't know if you've had the chance to see that, listen to that one, Brett. But I'd encourage you to. And you know, he's got a great brain, and he sees so much potential for this. And I think he's right. It can provide so much for us. Um, uh, Hugh, what's your thoughts? You you enjoy your NRC. What, What do you think we should be looking at from a success perspective?
1: Yeah, I agree with Brett. I, I don't think it is about crowds, and, and it doesn't have the same sort of foundations that club rugby is built on, in the no. sense that there's no history, it, there's no lower yes. grades, you know, you, you don't play lower grades for the Rams, so there's no there's no roots in the community like, like there is, say, a, a club, you know, a club which has got five grades and three Colts teams and, you know... F- hundred years of history with a hundred years of past players um, you know you can't create that overnight and and the other thing that it doesn't it doesn't have that history yet and you know there's still a lot of player changes every year there's no consistent squads you know you don't have the veterans you know, Tom Carter's or you know guys that have racked up you know 10 15 years with the one team you know that that kind of mm. can hold it together and and so and, and you can't magic that up that's that's got to be something that you that that happens naturally, but um, it's it's a development it's a development tool. Ultimately, it's what happens on the field that's the most important. And and giving those players from club footy and those fringe super players a chance um, to, to to get on the field to play some serious minutes and to play some great running rugby, um, develop their skills. And and I think that's that's the key. It's the on field product. Are we creating? Are we seeing new players coming out? Are we seeing guys that can make the step up? You know, to bridge the gap from club to super. And, and, and on the evidence of this year, there already are a few of those guys. And, and the last couple of years have been a big success as well. So well, you know, Pete Playford's right, we, we want to see it getting on its feet. And so we can hopefully, at the end goal, is pay these players a bit more and get them, get them training more, you know, full time and, and that sort of thing. But at the moment, it's just about making sure that rugby's good quality and getting those players that experience. That's that's the thing I
2: think Hugh. It's got to get to that point where the players involved um, are being paid to you know, pay paid a reasonable amount, and we're talking about the, the non Super Rugby contracted guys yeah. obviously. So so that they can actually take a bit of time off off work and not be you know, financially penalised, so they'll actually make a little bit of money out of it. That then allows them time to, to train, you know, essentially full-time. Their game improves and, and everything flows on from that. I, I had, a, had a chat with Ben Whitaker about oh, two months ago and, and we spoke specifically about the, the examples of um, Ben Matwajow and uh, yep. Guy Miller and there's a third person, there's a third guy that's now over in New Zealand playing. And he said, in that situation for those non-contracted guys, they can go over to New Zealand and earn somewhere between eighteen thousand sixty grand for a three month t- competition, and they can play yeah, and right. train full time. And so in that yeah, situation, right. and and, and, I know, and I know, Ridge, we've had the the the, the social media conversations saying, why the hell is this being allowed to happen?"
0: Yeah, yeah. Put yeah. You,
2: put, yeah. You, put yourselves in the in um, you know in, in Ben, ben Matwatcher's shoes. Yeah. That's exactly why. That's exactly why yeah. that it's happening. So, if we can get to the point where where the, those non contracted guys are being paid. A pretty good wage for a, you know, for a, for a ten or eleven week competition. That's going to be a pretty good measure of success, I'd reckon.
0: Yeah, okay, that's a fair call. Thanks for providing a bit of sanity to me, guys. I was I was losing hope, <laughs> but you make you make good sense. It's, it's almost like the Sheffield Shield. No, the Sheffield Shield, they don't care yeah. about people going to watch that. It's it's a development pathway. Hopefully, we'll get a, a bit more out of it in the end as well. So well, the, par- um, the look, parallel while- there, Edge
2: is, the, is, the, is that it's it's essentially test cricket and, and the big bash league that's funding the the uh, the Sheffield yeah. Shield because it doesn't definitely yeah. does not make money.
0: No, not at all. Um, Not at all. Look, let's just quickly look at this round of NRC before we get on to our last burning question. Brett, it's been a cracking competition so far, hasn't it? So this round, um, uh, we've got the two New South Wales teams on top, the the Rays on top and New South Wales Country second. So this weekend, Western Sydney uh, hosting Perth at Concord Over on Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m., and then after that, Queensland Country will host the Sydney Rays, the high-flying Sydney Rays at Bond Uni. So uh, that's at 3 p.m. So Sydney Rays, on top of the ladder, as I said, undefeated. They face Queensland Country, who have not won a game. They looked okay for half a game, or looked very good for half a game last weekend, but uh, capitulated to the to the Melbourne Rising. And then Sunday, uh, Brisbane City host the Canberra Vikings in a grand final rematch at Ballymore at 1 p.m. That's a whore and little shield clash. Uh, big challenge there for Brisbane City to regain that trophy, despite Canberra going down uh, heavily to the Eagles last week, and then the Eagles out to Tamworth, Magby Park, where they take on the Melbourne Rising uh, on Sunday afternoon at 3pm. Brett, what's your feeling? Who's going to take out the title? Can you give us a, an early two rounds in tip for, uh, for the title?
2: Um. Oh no, I can't because I've I've only just written this week that it's the Ooh. most open. It's <laughs> it's the most open competition we've had. I mean, I, I yeah, would have made a, made is. a de- decent argument for you know the the three Super Rugby teams and Brisbane City and maybe New South Wales Country to be pushing for the finals. But now, you know, Sydney, the Sydney Rays have started out fantastically. If I reckon, if they win even two of their next three games, they'll qualify. They'll be in the yeah. finals. Yep. Um, so, so you know, straight away we're now we're talking about six. I, I actually think the Rams are going to take a scalp in the next maybe two weeks, and it wouldn't surprise I me at all if it's this yep. week against Perth. Um, yep. And you know, and that just muddles things up further. So, um, it's it's a really tough one. I, I think there's a couple of tough tough games this week to pick. I think Queensland Country and the Rays could yep. be really interesting. This could be the week the Country break their drought. Um, I don't think the city, city or, or the Vikings are playing particularly well. I don't think either of them play, playing particularly well. So that's going to be a, a case of who's you know least worse on the day sort of thing. And I think um, <laughs> yep. I, I think uh, the Eagles out at Tamworth will be um, will be too good for Melbourne.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, uh, hopefully we have some Tamworth support out for that one. The, uh, the locals will get supported, support But that was a, a good wrap-up there, Brat, Brat, uh, Brett. Sorry, we're going to get into our last burning question as we wrap up the show. And this is to get us back in the spirit of the Springboks this weekend. And we want to talk your favourite Springbok moment versus the Wallabies. Now, as I said, this is the Steve Larkham drop goal memorial list, so we can't pick that <laughs> famous moment from 1999, which I think we all jumped to. Brett, you are the guest. I'm going to go to you first. What's what's your standout memory? I,
2: I had to, I had to give this some serious thought, but what I've come back with is is set piece tries. And Adam Ashley Cooper has scored two oh. of them, both of both of them at Brisbane. And if I've stolen you guys' thunder, then I'm nope. sorry, but there was there was the one only last year um, that, that he was the came from the blind wing, and then there was that try that he scored off a scrum set play. And I actually couldn't believe it when I when I looked it up just to, to just to, to reacquaint myself with it. It was 2009 he scored that try. Really, that, that was the one that he, the you know jumped into the first three into rows of um, of yeah. So that's the big memory against the box. I mean, there's there's going to be elements like the you know the 2011 World Cup semi final, but yeah. but it's those really cracking, scintillating set piece tries that um, that I think stick in the in the memory.
0: That was great. That was a great Beric Barnes pass. But yeah, the, the, the was, reaction, yeah. reaction into the crowd afterwards, sensational. Hugh, what about you? Before uh, I steal your thunder, possibly.
1: Um, Mine was back in 2010, and yep. and I think the 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 moment that is the one that's remembered is the Kurtley Beale um, conversion. Uh, sorry, penalty oh, goal from, in Bloemfontein uh, in yep. in uh, um, to, to win the game. And I think the thing that is, you know, and that was a fantastic moment, but I think the the thing that people forget is how good that game was. And the the end score was 41-39. Yeah. And it started with us scoring four tries in in the first 25 minutes. And we were up, I think, you know, uh, something like um, uh, 28-6. Or sort of, th- I think it was, and and the, and the the box only scored um, three tries to our five, but they just kept digging, you know, chipping away with penalties and and edged in front in those in those last minutes, and um, then we pegged it back with a try to Drew Mitchell, um, which uh, from a lovely Berwick Barnes inside pass and and, and Beal put the finishing touches on from from way downtown, but that was I mean that was a, a, an all time great game and and with an even better finish, so I think. That's, that, that wins is my favourite moment. Um, and, was, and, and came after a game where we also played really well um, to lose un, un- unluckily at Pretoria the week before and, and went down. I think it was, I was looking at the score here 44 31. We went down, but we were again right in that game until the late moments.
0: But that was a golden period too. That game, let alone was that Victor Mat- Matfield chip and chase before half time uh, to set up a block try. It was where Kurtley Beale got the nickname Gilbert because Cooper's pass hit him in the head. That was a remarkable game. Yeah. And then from there we, um, <laughs> I think we beat the All Blacks. Um, a couple of weeks' time in Hong Kong, yeah, we went Hong over Kong, and beat yeah. Wales, we beat Italy, and then we thrashed the French. So that was an amazing little period for the for the Wallabies. Um, all right, you did take mine, Hugh, but I'm going to take us back. So I'll go back to because I, you know, you guys know I'm a bit of a historian. I love this sort of stuff. I'll go back to the first Wallaby Springbok test post-apartheid, 1992, over oh, there yeah. uh, in, in Cape Town. So I, re- I really do remember this clearly because of all the hype, once you won the 91 World Cup, all the South Africans were going, wasn't a real World Cup, wait till you come to South Africa. And so we went over there and, and won 26-3. And poor Carrozza, one of my all-time favourite wallabies, scored two tries. Um, David Campisi, I think, scored his 50th Test match try. But it was hilarious. A bit muddy, uh Timmy Horan caught the ball inside his own 22. He made a break. He chipped. He chased. He regathered. He made a tackle, stole the ball, and then passed it for Campo just to fall over the line and score his try. And Campo still had his beautifully uh, golden jersey, barely, barely dirty. <laughs> and just done all the work for him for this remarkable try. But if you can find the highlights of that try, it's, it, it sticks with me as one of the. Finest pieces of individual play and so Timmy Horan um, for him not to, to get the try. So uh, I love that moment and that test match so much. But it's, there's been so many great Wallaby uh, Springbok matches um, over the years. And let's hope there's another one Saturday night. Um, lads, that's going to wrap us up. I really appreciate your time, Brett. Thanks for joining us, mate.
2: No worries. I look forward to joining you again this time next year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll book it in right now. As we...
2: <laughs> no, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: And you get into any of the NRC games or you just got to cover them all from your desk, mate? I'm,
2: I, I have been locked to the desk the, of late, but I, I certainly hope over the next few weeks I'm going to um, hopefully get
0: out to one uh, live. That'd be great. All right, good stuff. And Hugh, thanks to you, mate.
1: Yeah, cheers, cheers Reg, another good one. Let's uh, hope for a Wallabies win this weekend.
0: Yeah, indeed. And now just a quick shout-out to uh, our old favourite Green and Gold rugby zone cyclopath, Dave Jefferson. It's your birthday today, mate. Hopefully you listen to this a couple of days after. it's hope you had a good one. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Get out there, enjoy the NRC, and uh, let's go the Wallabies. He is his poodle. He is living copper eagle. You can meet at his location, but you'd better come with cash. Now his hat is on backwards. He can show you his tattoos. He is in the music business. He is calling you.